Hello and welcome to another special episode of Talking Loyal. And tonight we are joined by former footballer Dave Kitson. Welcome, Dave. How are we doing? All right. All good. How are you doing? Thanks for coming on again. No worries. No worries. Um. So, so yeah, we we'll. So yeah, what we I think you've been coaching tonight. Is that right, Dave? You've been. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I've been coaching uh, under a great bunch of girls actually under under twelves team, uh, in Woodley and Reading here and. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's good. It's freezing. It's absolutely yeah, freezing. very cold. Yeah. But, um, but no, they made it really a really fun session. So yeah, it was all part of the um, academy that we move around here in Reading okay. and, and try and uh, coach as many kids and uh, anybody really, anybody, anybody wants to coach it. Yeah, but nice. especially kids teams. It's it's great. Cool. Yeah, we're gonna we'll probably discuss your coaching a bit later on if that's all right. But with most of our guests, we sort of start off with a few quick fire questions just to ease everyone in and make it nice and jovial like it should be. So if you don't mind, who do you, who do you support growing up? Do you still support a side now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm a Spurs fan. So my oh, okay. dad was born in Tottenham. Okay. And um, so, I yeah, I, I've been going to Spurs ever since. I think my first game was about six and right. saw Glenn Hoddle play, who remains um, my hero to this day. Yeah, that was a sort of follow-up. Yeah. Did you, yeah, as a kid, was there a favourite player or, like you said, obviously Hoddle? Yeah, Hoddle uh, and Waddle, Gascoigne, obviously, a little bit later. Yeah. It's just an absolute genius. And I actually remember standing and asking my dad why that, why the guy in the number 10 shirt, which was Hoddle, was so much better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I remember my dad just looking at me. And I remember, I remember, you know, when you're a little kid as well, and you're all looking up at, you're looking up at all the adults. Mm-hmm. And um, they all sort of just turned around and, and started chuckling at me. Yeah. It's a question for a kid, and yeah, uh, yeah. Asked, my dad just turned around and went, "Because that's Glenn Hoddle," <laughs> and it just stuck with me. And um, yeah. I've still never, I've still never met him, but uh, he did say, I think he was doing match of the day or something once, and he did say something complimentary. And the fact that he even mentioned my name was like, <laughs> Maybe, yeah, yeah, that's pretty. No, I'm a Spurs fan myself. Takes Arsenal, but I've been like my daddy, like your dad. Sorry, my dad was born in Sp- uh, Tottenham, and. Yeah, we've been going ever since so we were little little boys. So yeah. No, yeah. yeah, it's amazing. And looking at the club now and what it's become, and mm-hmm. it's uh I just I just remember you know, from where we were, mm-hmm. and I was at the last game as well at White Hart Lane when the rainbow came out and we yeah, won. It it's, just, it, it's just unbelievable. And now when you go down there and you look at it, and I just and all the time when I was hearing these Levy out shouts, oh, just, yeah. people yeah. just do not know what you're going. Yeah. You just have not got a clue. Yeah, just you, think, still go, you still go now, then you regularly get to games and. Oh yeah, yeah, and I'll go down there where I, where I can. Obviously, with the coaching now, weekends are getting a bit, a bit busy, and um, uh, but I'll I'll try and go down there and I'll try and go to. There's just not enough. Do you always know, people say there's a, you know there's too much football on telly and it's actually there aren't enough days free mm. to get to all the football games I want to get to. So yeah, yeah. Well, Dave, you're well known as a professional footballer. But uh, what was your first job before football? Uh, my first job was in a, uh, working for Sainsbury's, which is, that was like one of the big companies in in um, Letchworth at the time, where I grew up. And um, yeah, just if you sort of got to sort of 15, well, 16 years old, um, you went and tried to get a job there for a bit of pocket money. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so... We all, yeah, all, we all did. A lot of my mates went down there, and um, and then you end up meeting people, you know, like anywhere really, like an office or wherever, and you end up meeting people. And 
my two best mates I, uh, I met there and they're still my best mates to to, to this day. So um, yeah, it, it's it, it's a big it's a big old part of my part of my life, mm. and it was always something that you could draw upon to 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 kind of keep you grounded really mm-hmm. nice. yeah i worked at tesco's back in the day what um department were you in were you fruit and veg or shelves or on the checkout well uh, no 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 i always refused to do the checkouts it's just like <laughs> i wasn't yeah i was i was difficult even back then um so i i ended up i ended up <laughs> actually i started on the frozen food section then they moved me to bws which was beers wines and spirits <laughs> fact i can still remember it's very very um and then they decided that actually dave you i don't don't really think you're a people person (laughs) we'll move you to the warehouse out the (laughs) where you can be out the way so that's yeah so i ended up there nice well um moving on from your job at the sainsbury and stuff did what was your the best player you eventually played or played against trained with best player i played against uh was a tie i think it's a tie um it was Paul Scholes and uh Luka Modric. Those it's two it's not a bad two, is it at all? Really? Yeah, I I, I just re- Paul Scholes was the first player. Was, the way I came up through the leagues from, from pub football to non-league football to League Two and then the championship, and then I missed out on League One going up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the then the Premier League. Um I was always ready for it. I was always ready for the step. And I was still sort of ready for the Premier League, but then I realised that there was this little top bit of the Premier mm. League, and um, and Paul Scholes was the first player who made me realise that uh, oh, actually, there's a level that I'm never going to get to. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, probably you're never prepared for that, I suppose, when you play someone or people like that. It's incredible. Yeah, you just don't realise, and I never came through an academy, so I didn't really have a handle on just how good players could be. Mm. And I saw him, and I just thought, oh my god, it's mm. uh, this is um, no matter how many hours I train for this, I'm never going to catch this guy. Bit of a morale crusher, actually. Yeah, yeah. To Modric, I remember watching Modric. It might even have been his debut for Spurs. Uh, we played against them, and I remember coming off the pitch and calling Brian McDermott, mm-hmm. who I think was the, I think it was. Might even have been the Reading manager, or he was scouting for Arsenal. It was one of those, and I just mm. said, "I said, mate, this this Spurs have got a lad here, Luka Modric, and I said, and he's just destroyed us." Mm. On it. I said, "He's one of the best footballers I've ever seen in my life," mm. and uh, and then obviously later on he became the Luke, you know, became yeah, cool. Modric, you know, yeah. so. Um, at the time, it was just some guy that Spurs had signed, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> much yeah. about him. But then he became Luka Modric, and um, no two players have ever sort of punched me in the stomach really like like those two, and yeah. it just made me think, oh wow, there's uh, there's levels above. Mm-hmm. Nice. You mentioned the cold weather earlier. Um, is there a game or a stadium that you can remember back in the de- back in your playing career that was the coldest ever match that you've played at? You've been playing in. Well, I played at Stoke for two years, and that's a big... <laughs> it's, yeah, it's always it's always windy. I was never fussed about it, you know. I was uh, I never I was never too bothered about the cold. Is the wind or the wind ruins football? Nothing else ruins football element wise, other than um, 
other than the wind. I do remember playing at um, the Vetch, which was Swansea's original ground. Right. And it, probably about this time of year, the sun was low in the sky and it, it hadn't quite peered over um, one of the longest stands. And so if you take the pitch long ways on, about a, a, a strip of it down the left-hand side, as I recall, was still frozen solid. Mm -hmm. And the game was basically played on two-thirds of the pitch. Yeah. And every time it went onto the frozen part, you'd kind of tiptoe to go and get the ball and get it back onto. It was just ridiculous. And it culminated with um, a winger, Finnish winger, who I still remember the name of, Tero Pilvi, um, running on there with, a def with one of Swansea's defenders, slipping... Mm -hmm and getting a boot in the face and and smashing his cheekbone and i just remember looking his, looking at his face and it being sort of concave <laughs> oh. <laughs> um funny enough i never saw him again after that yeah, yeah <laughs> i'm not sure whatever happened to him mm, very good and um, we're obviously with football itself is it's heavily linked to initiation songs and music and whatever but did you have a particular song or if you were obviously the darts just been was there an would there be an entrance song for yourself that you'd like? No, I, um, full disclosure, for a large part of my career, I had a huge sense of humour failure. Uh, <laughs> and I would leave it to, uh, I'd leave it to others. And I was thinking about this earlier because I've just um, taken on James Harper into our, into our academy. Right. who was a teammate of mine at Reading. Yeah. And I always just felt, you know, well, that leave the humour to, to, to him. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I need to, in order to be my best, I need to sort of give it some serious focus. So if if I were doing this during my career, um, uh, 20 years ago, and a journalist had asked me, you know, oh, what sort of, uh, they would have got a very, very blunt. Yeah, yeah, straight <laughs> down the line. That's yeah, yeah. fine, that's fine. Um, <laughs> But uh, no, these because it got out of hand, you know, the initiations got out of hand and pe people started um, taking it to the nth degree and seeing what they could get away with. And there were some horror stories that came out, especially about the um, the academy players. Yeah. And the academy players. I was never a big one. I was never, ever a big one for it. You know, I if someone else wanted to get up and sing, that's fine. Yeah. Um, not a problem. But I was just, I, I sort of cultivated this, kind of serious persona yeah. and, um, and people knew oh, well you know we just that's where Kits likes to be and we'll, we'll leave him there but it didn't mean I didn't enjoy other people doing it but if you go out on a night out so we'd go to the local restaurant where, where we'd have a curry perhaps as a team mm. and one of the lads would go oh come on I'm gonna I'm gonna order the hottest thing in the house you all have to put a tenner in and um and and, and I'll eat the the hottest curry that there is mm. They'd be collecting tenors and it, it's not the money it's not this it's the principle of i don't give a shit if you do it yeah yeah no I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You yeah yeah go ahead i'm not paying you to bloody thing you know if you yeah. want to do it. so i was very much like that and um but uh, I, we need i needed to be like that to to kind of you know to be to be at my best and i always yeah. i always felt if i let my guard down a little bit i'd lose a bit of my um uh, just something, a bit of my sharpness, a bit of my guile, a bit of, of I'd do something from my from my game if I wasn't taking it seriously. 
No, that's fair enough. Perfect. Um, this last question, we like to do a little trivia question on all, all our podcasts, and this one's no different. And Dave, you scored three hat-tricks for Reading, but which one of them did you score in the fastest time? Have a little think about it, and we'll revert back to it at the end of the show. That's what we normally do. Yeah. So. <laughs> I can't remember the three. <laughs> well, I can give you the three we'll names. Give, yeah, we, we might give you some. Um, I'll give you the three names at the end, and then um, we'll see if we we'll see if you can grab them. Okay. All right. right. Jack, we yeah, move we'll, into the, your professional. Yeah, career. If yeah. If we don't mind, we'll sort of move into your professional, well, your football career as such. Um, and yeah, how you got into the professional game. Like you said, you started off in Sainsbury's, but. Was it you, like you said, you were living in the Hitchin, Letchworth area? So you started in the sort of non league days, moving to Cambridge. You're quite yeah. a latecomer, weren't you, to the professional game? Yeah, I didn't sign a professional contract until I was 21. Mm. Um, I didn't come through, through an academy. So I was working in Sainsbury's. I was playing part time for Hitchin, who were probably step four at the time, as it was then, um, playing for the youth team, getting a couple of games in the first team. Uh, and then the groundsman scorched all the grass off the pitch, <laughs> and uh, our and our youth team got disbanded because of that, which was a shame because there were some tremendously talented players in that team. And I don't know what happened to them; or just fell by the wayside, presumably. Um, and then uh, I was working at Sainsbury's, and there were some trials going on at a club called Alsey Town. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in Bedfordshire, and just over the back of the fields from where I lived in Letchworth on the Hartsbeds border. Mm-hmm. Uh, my two friends there, Liam, Paul, Devereux, who are my best mates to this day, uh, said, um, you should come down, you know, we've seen you play pub football, you know, which, and pub football was great at the time. I was, we, we were playing for the Arena Tavern, man of the match, it was a pint of Guinness. It was, you know, it was just great. It was really, really good luck. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was about, I don't know, 18. And they said, I oh, should come down and have a tryout. And I went down there and they said, well, you know, we can always use a, a left-footed player. Mm. So I used to, and to be honest, the, man, the way the manager tells it now, Nicky Ironton, was the, and I think I remember this, was was they were sort of being diplomatic, telling me thanks, but no thanks. And I would just keep coming to training mm. until somebody, I, I was missing, I'm, I still missed that little bit in my brain. <laughs> yeah, it went have to head, say yeah. yes or no, you know, it's like, I'm not, really terrible at reading between the lines about what's going on and um so I just kept coming until they told me anything else and then uh, I got on the bench for a game in pre-season in Stevenage Borough which was the big local team and our striker Greg Pike who'd scored you know 150,000 goals a season before uh broke his leg in a tackle right in front of me don't think he ever played again and um, they just slung me on and said, go up front. And it really was, you know, pardon the pun, a, a lucky break for mm-hmm. me, at least. Um, I didn't score in that particular game, but they must have seen something and they just kept playing. And we, to be fair, we had an amazing, I was so raw and so naive about life and football, everything really. And um, I, I, you know, I ran around a lot and I tackled and kicked and headed whatever came anywhere near me. But I had a very, very good team and um, scored quite a few goals. And then Cambridge signed me for know, about 10 grand or something. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and then, yeah, and then, and then that was it. And I just always remember thinking, and I've always had this feeling, like it's sort of an imposter syndrome feeling, um, which was 
they don't know what they've let in the door not in a pompous way just mm. in, just in a way like they, they don't realize what they've let in the door and they're not going to be able to get me back out that's how I felt and I tried mm. to carry myself like that through my career and later on it came out in different unflattering guises but initially um it, it manifested itself in a lot of hunger and a lot of a lot of resilience and a lot of self-confidence and it did well for me mm. um and they were sort of good attributes to have so the obviously you had a couple of years at cambridge sort of that early stages of your professional career when when reading happened was that was that you spoke to the coaches was it through an agent or was it because you had a brilliant time at Cambridge and you were sort of getting getting word from other teams how did that sort of happen yeah not just organically really um you know if you score you know Cambridge United had a had a huge reputation for selling strikers selling players but particularly strikers you know starting with Dion Dublin mm -hmm. moved on to um Jamie Curitan Steve Claridge Trevor Benjamin Martin Butler, Zima Abbey, um, you know, all those guys were there. And if you did well, you got sold. And that was that's how Cambridge survived and, and carved out a, a, a um, survival. And I was just the latest in a long line of strikers that just so happened to have, I just so happened to have scored more than than, than they did. So, the, and, and they had a very clear price gradient you know, pegged to, to to the football economy, which was, well, you know, if it was a million there, then it's two and now it's three and mm -hmm. and kits will be four. You know, that's just, and everyone was on board with that. And then ITV Digital collapsed. And I don't know if you remember ITV Digital, but... Yeah, very, very um, early forerunner of, obviously, of the, of the, of the digital sector. And, and the way that sport in particular was consumed, but it, the uptake was poor mm. and it, it, it went bust. And uh, it, it primarily served to, um, to, to, as a benefactor for, for football clubs in the same way that Sky does today, which relies on subscribers, but it, did, it didn't have the numbers. And, and, and it went bust and it left a huge um, hole in, in, in the pockets of uh, football league clubs. And there was a fire sale, essentially, is what happened. So my transfer fee went from 4 million, which was being bandied around, mm -hmm. um, to £150,000. Yeah, wow. And I remember the, week, the game after ITV Digital went bust, they were handing out buckets around Cambridge. You remember, you don't see that very often these days, but you, I, I remember it being quite a common occurrence. At least once a season, one club was handing out buckets. Mm. Um, and um, and they were handing out buckets. And I think the fans were promised something akin to if you raise a hundred grand or it might even be 50, something like in the order of that number, uh, then we won't have to sell Dave and other players. Of course, they raised the money, and then a week later they sold me anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And the fans were none too happy, and I was told that the chairman had gone to the pitch to explain and been heckled off and booed off. But by then, I'd moved on, and I was I was um, at, at Reading, and and it's, and every time I go down to Cambridge, there's still it rankles with them a lot. The fact right. that the transfer was 150, given what I did later at Reading, they, it really, yeah, it 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 
really was an unfortunate situation. And of course, Olsey had a sell-on fee as well for a non-league club. Could have made a huge, you know, four selling players for four million, getting a ten percent of that. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. very nice. But uh, so they got the, the the square root of nothing, um, mm. and so it just had a terrible knock-on effect in 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 football. When um, Reading came knocking and the deal went all went through, was that something? that came out of the blue or was that something that you gradually had been built to? Was there rumours that it was going to happen or was there any other clubs involved? Yeah, it, there was, there were, uh, Rotherham made a bid, I believe, and Cardiff made a made a bid. Cardiff at that time had a very good team and they had Rob Earnshaw. Mm-hmm. I never got the chance to speak to Cardiff, but I do remember thinking, well, Rob Earnshaw's never not going to play. Mm. Um, and I remember looking at Reading thinking Sean Gota could learn a lot from him I remember vividly thinking that I could learn a lot from him because I obviously remember his City days he was obviously an absolute legend Mm. and um, and uh, you know they still have Sean Gota day in Bermuda that's That's the mark of the man yeah yeah yeah. I mean we don't even have Dave Kitson day in his house (laughs) (laughs) I I love dedicated to having a day um and just the loveliest man in football mm. and, uh, and then Nicky Forster who I uh, was obviously uh getting on in in years as well so I remember thinking well look even if I go there for a season I I can eventually do something mm. and not really paying too much attention to the fact that well I have just scored 25 goals in a in a team that's finished mid-table you know, I was still quite respectful of the fact that I would have to earn my my passage, so to speak. And um and uh and that's what I did. So I went with the right mentality. I'm gonna have to knuckle down and earn the right to get into this into this team. And uh, obviously it's the best football decision I've I've ever made given given what happened later. But I remember it all being done quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I changed agents as well. Um and that had expedited the the whole process, um, and uh, yeah, I, I was. Um, it all happened quite quickly, given the fact that Cambridge needed the money, um, and Reading, when they found lower league players, as was the model mm. that they adopted, didn't hang about. If, if if Brian McDermott, who was the scout at that time, was absolutely sure that we should be going for this everyone backed his judgment and it would happen quite quickly and i just remember yeah i just remember being at cambridge one day and then the next day i was driving into reading's training down to train yeah so you, you signed for reading on boxing day 2003 and um i was listening to a podcast you were on a couple of years back and there was, was there a bit of a controversial outfit you wore on your first day at reading <laughs> yeah i didn't you know because i'm not of the football world <laughs> in in um in a lot of senses um I, I didn't know what you know I, what do you wear when you get signed and you get paraded around and on the back of the newspaper and this is obviously ridiculous now um <laughs> was was Hernan Crespo who just signed for Chelsea in a little white t-shirt and a and a one of those little scarves that don't do anything other than just sit there and and and, mm. and 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 be ridiculous um 
And I thought, well, you know, if it's good enough for Herman Crespo, certainly good enough for Dave Gitson. So I went along and I just remember Steve Koppel just look and all the lads just looking at me like, what the hell is this? But that was a perfect metaphor for my for my sort of career, you know. It was it was always what the hell's this? And then you began to play and they would say, Oh, okay. It's okay, uh, we let him off sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, and I never I never gave I never gave too much of a shit in yeah. terms of what I looked like, what car I drove. You know, I never owned a watch. I just wasn't into those things. I just wanted to play football. Mm -hmm. um, and that, and on the one hand, that made it quite difficult to, to embed myself with, with teams. But on the other hand, um, I was true to who I was as a, uh, or to who I am as a, as a, as a, person you know so uh yeah it, it certainly for that period of time at running it worked it worked well for me do you think that, that on that sorry do you think that your person because a lot of players not just yourself but steve Koppel and brian they're quite they're very well known names they're very you know, what i know what i hear there people have got on with them very well do you think that your personality just just worked in that environment with with that club and with that with that pair yeah, I think I think it the the squad. I think once it was assembled, what it had going for it was it was roughly the same age. Mm -hmm. It was relatively underpaid, um, given what else was being paid in the championship at that time. It was unbelievably hungry uh, to to prove itself both individually and collectively as were the people running the club. You know, Sir John was, I have to call him Sir John, the last time, well, after he got his knighthood, I forgot, and I, uh, about 10 years ago, and I bumped into him in a restaurant, and uh, and I forgot he'd just been knighted, and he said, and I said, oh, hi, John, and he slapped me around the Ooh. back of the head. <laughs> it's Sir John. Yeah. <laughs> I always call him Sir John. I don't forget, I don't forget after that. There's not too many people I let slap me around the head, but Sir John. Um, yeah, but obviously he was desperately keen to get Reading and himself to the Premier League, you know. Um, Steve was desperately keen. Nick Hammond was in the role of director of football, wanted to prove himself. Brian McDermott, the chief scout, wanted to prove himself. So it had all of that go. Everyone was on the same page, hmm. you know, which is, if you look at what's happening now, is certainly not the case at the no. But um, but 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 that that is what Reading Football Club is. You know, it's not it, it it's not um, it's not a big secret what was what we achieved. It was it's just a very sensible approach to building a football club. It's one of many ways to build a football club. It's the way that works for Reading, and it's the way that we understand it. So, yeah, it had it had all of those things going for it. Um, uh, and then obviously within that came some mechanisms to to enhance what we had the, the way that we grouped together mm. but it needed personalities in the right place you know so you had you had your 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 funny guys you know and then you had your serious guys and then you had your little bit of experience and you and you had those personalities all working and nobody really trying to be anything that they weren't yeah. 
So um, once you signed for Reading, you think it was your first 17 games in that first six months. You scored five goals. Moving on to your next full season, where I think you scored 19 goals in a full season. That next summer was then leading into the 2005-2006 season, was the, the famous 106 season. Individually, you'd done very well. And you just mentioned there that the team was really hungry. And it, it, well, that summer, they signed Kevin Doyle, Leroy Lita. Was the aim that season to be promoted? Or was that an internal thing you didn't want to let out? Or what was the aim that season? Because you just missed out on the playoffs just before, hadn't you? Yeah, we, we'd missed out, I think, perhaps on the two or three games before the end of the season. I'd had a bad knee injury um, that had cost us goals, certainly, in games where the in games where the, those missed goals may have influenced uh, how many points we took, perhaps. Who's to say? Mm. But um, certainly the, the, the board and, and Steve identified that we can't have an entire season with with kits and no one else supporting. If he gets injured, we're going to need somebody. So they identified Leroy Lita from Bristol City. That was the primary signing to play alongside with me. And, and then they stumbled upon Kevin Doyle, thanks to Pat Dolan, who was Eamon Dolan's brother, mm-hmm. um, who I believe was an agent out in Ireland, who invited Brian McDermott along to watch uh, Kevin playing for Cork, where he'd scored 20-odd goals or something like that. And I think he played. I remember Brian saying he hadn't done very well, but then he, all, everyone had left, all the scouts had left. But then Kevin scored two, I think, in the last couple of minutes, and they won the game. And Brian always used to say to me as a scout, you have to stay until the end. You always have to stay until the end. Um, and they signed him. And as I understand it, and I don't obviously have the full details, I think Steve went over to watch as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just to give the final, yeah, okay, you know, he'll do for us kind of thing. And as I understood it, they offered up, they did a deal on the spot for 70 grand. Mm-hmm. And... They also said, well, listen, his mate is here. He might want to keep him company. It's called Shane Long. Um, not, you, not a bad player. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, you you can have him for 10000 if you want him just as a bit of company. So we got Kevin Doyle and Shane Long for eighty grand. Wow. Um, so our strike force going into the next season was myself, uh, Leroy Lee to Kevin Doyle and Shane Long. And that is... If you're going to do something in the championship, that's <laughs> that's not a bad strike force to have. Yeah. Uh, and the team was another year older, a couple of additions. And I, I didn't know anything about Kev, but when when Kev came and he played in the first training session, and you know, he was kind of okay. Well, let's have a look then. And I remember thinking, I knew I was going to start with Leroy up front uh, that season, but I remember looking at Kev thinking, well. He works as hard as I do. Mm. Um, And if we've got two players like that working that hard, we're really going to do something. And I hadn't seen him play a game or score a goal or any of that stuff. I just remember looking at the work rate thinking, be nice to have a bit of help with that up front this year. Uh, And then Leroy unfortunately got injured and Kev got his chance. and, And that's 
that really is is what came about. And the the fortunate thing for Steve Koppel in one respect is that if one of us was that there was never a time where all four of us uh were all fit. Mm-hmm. There may have been one game, but but largely during that season, one or two of us were always injured. So he had a really easy job of just mm-hmm. resorting to play two up front. So he always had that. Um, and it kind of worked out really well. And of course, when you came back from being injured, you you saw what was happening. You were like, right, I've got to step up and need to nail down that place. And Steve was very good like that. He always used to say, regarding the shirt, possession was nine tenths. You know, it's mm-hmm. nine tenths of the law. If you've got the shirt, it's yours until it ain't. So, um, yeah, and I, I respected him for that as a manager. Yeah. And you saw, go on, sorry. So I said, ironically, you actually lost the first game of the season, didn't you? And then I think you went on a long. Was it a 30-game unbeaten spell? Was that a really good team atmosphere and did everyone get along in that in that environment? Um I think no, I think I think most people got along. I think the people that didn't get along tolerated one another. You know, because like for the reasons I've mentioned, we're all trying to get to the same place. Mm-hmm. And that that really took precedent over any sort of trivial personality disputes. Mm-hmm. It may have been um you know when things aren't going well those are the little things that blow up mm-hmm. but when you're doing quite well those are the things that are very easy to put to bed mm-hmm. um yeah we lost the first game and then we went 33 games unbeaten and actually somebody asked me the other day when did you know that you were going to do something that season and it was the third game we we went to brighton away and, and we beat them um at their old stadium which was um yeah which was not not one to remember thank god they've moved i mean that was an experience actually it's a rite of passage to say that you played at that ground as well um but the third game we went to preston very very sound championship club always vying for the playoffs and we absolutely destroyed them um to the point where um, it's only happened twice in my career, but we went down to the far end to applaud our fans, turned around to walk back into the tunnel, which is at the far end, um, directly opposite. And and, um, all the Preston fans had stayed. The Preston players were off the pitch and they'd stayed and they applauded us. The whole stadium applauded us off. Pitch. And that's really a rare thing in football. Yeah, definitely. And I knew we'd played well. You know, we won three 0 but it could have been anything. But we played really well, and we looked like a team. Mm. That's anyone can play well in one game, but we looked like a team doing it. Like a real team that had played together for a long time, and uh, and to get that that um, seal of approval, if you like, from from the home fans in Preston's yeah. case was. Uh, yeah, it, and the fact that it stayed with me as well, and I can still see it vividly, um, it, that meant a lot. Uh, maybe the Preston fans don't even realise how much that that spurred us on for the I'm season. I'm saying it probably might have even helped your side that year. So. I think it did. I certainly think it did. Uh, and then I think from, well, from the Brighton game, uh, it was 33 games um, unbeaten. Mm. Yeah, it was a remarkable run. Yeah, and on that... On that group that obviously got promoted, are you still in contact with any of those players? Any of those guys that you still? Yeah, well, James Harper, the midfielder that we had, 
unbelievably talented player. Um, he he's uh, working with me at the at the academy. Mm-hmm. Um, Glenn Little, I see a lot. Unbelievable winger. What mm-hmm. a winger he was! Wow. Um, you know, Ivar Ingemarsson. Uh, I talked to him a lot over there in Iceland. I went to visit him. It took me ten hours to drive to his house. Bro, that's a brave decision. <laughs> yeah. It was only one you can't fly you can't you can't fly directly there you have to you have to drive to it so it's ten, you land in Reykjavik and then you drive around Egglesdor and um and yeah ten hours and he showed me where he used to play football as well and it's just surrounded by a fjord on three sides wow uh, it's just you know he said if you you were winning you time wasted you just booted the ball <laughs> guy would row out to go and get the ball. Um, but he's a, it's interesting because he's officially the loneliest player in the Premier League. He comes from the smallest town of anybody ever to play in the Premier League. It's uh, like 60 people in his village. <laughs> and to make, become a Premier League footballer, you know, you're yeah, against. So there's, and I love stories like that. So I keep in contact with a lot. Sol Ki Hyun, who was a year after. Uh, Nicky Shuri, I spoke to the other day. Leroy Lita, I'm seeing on Sunday for, for a beer. No. So yeah, you know, we all sort of we're not one of those groups that feels like we need a WhatsApp group and we have to yeah, yeah. send each other, you know, non-funny messages every five minutes. <laughs> but it Maybe is you're not, you're not a fan of a, of a group chat then. <laughs> well you can tell, can't you? I'm just not <laughs> type of stuff like that. I I nice. yeah. Um but but you pick the phone up and it's like, you know, Ibrahim Asonko, our centre half, who's living in uh, Belgium now with his partner and children and um you hadn't spoken to him for a little while and uh, just pick the phone up and suddenly it's like back in the changing room just talking about whatever we talk about, you know. On that last game of the season, I think you had to win to get the the points record, was it? Was there a big party afterwards? Was there any book, any plans trip by the chairman or anything like that? No, no. And that's very Reading. That's very Reading. Uh, Steve, Steve, didn't like dealing he didn't like the press he didn't like the press intrusion um didn't like to draw attention to us didn't like us talking to the press wanted to go really under the radar and we did it the best we could it's possibly a factor as to why we the club never really gets the credit i mean if you ask nine out of ten people in the street who has the championship points record i don't think many people would know that it's reading um but I, if Leicester beat it this season, as looks that they will, Could do, yeah, yeah. everyone will know that it was Leicester who did who who have it. You know, it's one of those. That's what Reading is. You know, and we don't mind that. That's that's how we are, or should be rather, mm. how we were. Um, but it's typical that in the last game when we beat QPR and we broke the points record and we're standing up in the, you know, everyone was like, well, where do we? All our fans are on the pitch. What do we do? Uh, oh, we'll go up to the director's box, got ushered up there, just, you know, give them a wave and say thanks. It was one of those. And then you kind of realise that you're standing there like, balcony, you know, kind of, this is getting a bit awkward now. And then somebody scared up, you know, half a dozen bottles of Buck's Fizzle. So it wasn't even champagne. I don't you know, you don't waste champagne. And uh, it's like half a dozen bottles of Bucks Fizz or Carver or some something that had been sat in someone's fridge for decades. Spray those. That was, a, you know, and that was it. 
we all disappeared into the into the changing room and um and left to go go on holiday but i do remember um i do remember afterwards i went to ivoringi marson's house with my wife and ivar and his wife and brinyar gunnarsson and his wife mm. and we all just sat in the hot tub drinking champagne and that was just that was how we did things you know it wasn't like a great big go out onto uh, into town and go mad it was just that that's you know I, I still think if you if you if you owned Reading Football Club and you listened to some of these stories and how it is and how the people are and how it ought to run and you mm. heard things like that you would have a much better understanding mm. and, and a much better um decision making process uh towards um maneuvering that club it, it, into what it should be and what it represents uh rather than trying to make it something that it isn't yeah definitely and like you said you finally you want finally but got promoted to the premier you're now a premier league player um and you actually scored in your the first was it the first game was that right take the first you scored the first goal yeah the first reading goal wasn't it first yeah. the reading premier league goal yeah, so um, so Reading had ne- before that inaugural Premier League season, Reading had never been in the top. Forget the Premier League; mm. it had never been in the top flight mm. in a hundred. And you know, Reading's a very old club, it ne- but it had never been uh, in the top division ever. So that first goal. So I didn't really realize about the points record. To be honest, mm. I didn't realize when Kevin Doyle scored the goal, the equaliser at Leicester, that that would be the goal that got us promoted. So that annoyed me. Um, So I paid attention when someone told me that the first goal, you know, the whoever scores this yeah. first goal is going to, that's it. You know, there was only... There's only there was, one, I suppose. Yeah, there's 92 clubs, uh, professional clubs, and um, obviously a few more that come up through the... the, the the national leagues, etc., um, that go on to become. But so, you know, whatever it is, 100, 110 clubs, it can only ever be one person who's going to do that. Mm. And I remember that actually making a bit of an impact on me. I think whatever happens, I have to get this first goal. It's going to go down in history. And mm. fortunately, I, I got it. And it's possibly the worst goal I've ever scored in my life. But it's like I say to the kids I coach now, it doesn't say when it pops up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it just says your name it's and who goal. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't say 30 yards, you know, overhead kick or any of that rubbish. It's mm-hmm. just there. Um, so I'm a, I'm a, you know, perhaps that, that's where I get it from, you know, just you only have to get the ball from here over this line. <laughs> that's it. I don't care how you do it. So that was a very that was very important to me, and it is one of the things that I'm I'm most proud of. Unfortunately, you suffered quite a bad injury in this game, didn't you? And that kept you out for up until January, was it? Yeah, yeah, it was a yeah that was as good as it got for me that season. Um, it was all those years of trying to get to the Premier League, and and it got it got taken away after about forty minutes, mm. um, and. Yeah, it, it, that was hard. That was really, really hard. And that was the first time where I ever felt a bit sorry for myself. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've been trying, 
harder than anyone to get this football club into the Premier League. I'd had two years before of grafting up front on my own, trying to score the goals to get this club to the Premier League. Finally done it. Finished top scorer in that 106 season. Just scored the first goal thinking my career is going to go in all directions mm. now. And But not where can I go? It was always where can Reading go? Where can we go? How, how big can we get? You know? And it all just got taken away inside in, 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 uh, after about 40 minutes. And it was an awful tackle. And um, it took a long time to, to get back. And I would ha- I had setbacks. I came back in the first training session. I came back after months, pulled my hamstring because my body has just, you know, gone on shutdown. Mm-hmm. Tried to get over that. Then my appendix burst. It was just a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. And I had to watch all the guys, you know, I had to watch Kev and Leroy scoring all these goals and doing really well and getting international call-ups. And and it was just, it was so hard to take. Um, and then I think I came back in the game against Newcastle at home. Mm. Uh, that was also Michael Owen's comeback because he had done his cruciate, I think, mm. possibly at the World Cup. Or, yeah, or, did it for England in yeah. 2006, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And that was his first game back and it was my first game back. And even that, you know, I kind of thought, oh, that's good because that takes the focus away from Mm. me because it'll all be about him. And it was. And we beat them and I scored, managed to score in my first game back. The funny thing about that goal was it came to me and I I volleyed it. And I think it was, was it Sibierski? Somebody like that. Came running across to, to... closed me down with his arms up like this and I'd volleyed it and I kicked his arm and broke his arm on the follow through. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking, uh, there's the yin and yang balance. Yeah. Somebody comes back and somebody has to go out. So Same, yeah, it all works. Yeah. 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 So yeah, no, it's, it was odd, but it, that was nice. And I remember sort of running over and jumping into the, into the crowd. And I don't think, the, I think the referee knew how long I'd been out. So I don't think he even booked me for it. Kind of <laughs> just let him have his moment. Yeah. And we beat them. And, um, but yeah, I was never, after that tackle, I was never the same player. I had to totally change the way I, the way I played, the way I, my body moved on the pitch, the way I kicked the ball with my right leg, couldn't kick the ball the same anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was just, yeah, it was tough. It was very tough. Yeah. Don't mind, but obviously I've researched a little bit and found some things, but you, you basically, you, you're an advocate for mental health and support and all that, but pretty much when it wasn't fashionable. Because if you look now, there's lots of talk and there's lots of players and scenarios that happen. But do you think it sort of stemmed from that moment, that injury, or was it long before that when you were growing up? Well, how, why was that such a thing for you? And you, you're, yeah, you're, like I said, you're an advocate for that. No, I suffered for it for, for years. You know, I think it might be a family thing. I'm not sure. Um, I suffered from it uh, from depression as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, anxiety when I when I got older. I'm on some fairly heavy duty medication now, which keeps me going. Mm-hmm. And talking is always a good thing. And I I just I, I never I understand the stigma. Mm. I understand the reluctance from you know the world is a nasty old place and and it seems to be getting nastier to me and um and i think it's more important than ever so when i coach the kids that's Mm -hmm. a huge element of it it is the mental health if you're not 
if you're not feeling up to snuff, you know, you talk to someone, your teacher, your parent, your, your friend, talk anyone, just talk to somebody. Just, you know, it's, um, it, it, the numbers are just staggering for, for the amount, you know. So the Lee and Paul, who I, who I mentioned uh, before from Sainsbury's, so there were four of us, another chap called Martin and sort of inseparable, and Martin hanged himself. And um, so that had a huge, a huge uh, impact on me. And, um, you know, there still isn't a day that goes by where I don't think about him. And and, and, and in the context that that could easily have been me, mm. easily have been me, um, certainly at my lowest ebb. And, um, and I think you just have to catch yourself every now and again when you feel yourself going down that spiral to, to, to talk. There's nothing wrong with talking about it. You have to. Mm. But yeah, going sort of going first was I do you remember how I said that I had this kind of a, a serious head on that I had to be that way? Yeah. So given that I had that persona, if you like, certainly in the media and to the fans, I think when I when I sort of decided, right, I'm gonna talk about this before anybody else was really talking about it. Um I think it may have resonated, may have, because I don't know. Um, not like I go around doing straw poles or anything, but uh, may have resonated because it came from someone who who was serious. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't... It, it, you weren't in the papers and you weren't doing stupid things. You were, like you said, you were... Yeah, it was, on... it, I was focused on football and it was all of that. And um, I think that, that may have uh, carried a... a a bit of weight and then it just sparked a huge conversation um, and um and we are where we are today but it, it, i'm always keen to point out you know you don't you don't have to come come out and say anything if you don't want to you still have that prerogative as a human being to to be as private as you like uh, but you know don't be the martyr yeah to somebody you know, yeah, and I said you, you is that an area you focus with the coaching with the kids and and whatever you're you're dealing with now is that that's a main sort of part of what you're doing? Yeah, it's huge. I always, you know, it's because you'll see the same kids over and over again. Sometimes they turn up and they're, you know, and sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. I sort of trained myself to to notice it. You know, I did, did a lot of courses on it. Um, a lot of a lot of online um things yeah, just you know it's not about gaining certificates for the sake of it. it's about trying to learn something you know, what are the signs what am i looking for um and and then actually putting it to use so it is a huge thing so when i, I go around berkshire and uh, talks at schools and they all have you know i do um i've got a bag of shirts here that I'm looking at that I just I bought home today. They're all the shirts that I've collected over the over the years. Mm-hmm. Like um Jabby Alonso and Ferdinand and Vidic and Bale. But all those guys on those shirts, all those names, all have a story to tell about when things weren't going well. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about the name on the shirt and the badge. And that, and you forming a perception, you know, you see, you see Rio Ferdinand's name on a Man United shirt, and you immediately think, you know, whatever, good times. But 
underneath that shirt is a guy who's had to go through some struggles and it's the same for for all of those shirts um and so I kind of tell those stories, not their stories for them, they're not my stories to tell, but just making the point that you know, look, all these guys you see on telly, they've all had to come through some kind of, uh, uh, some some difficulties. Um, and But what they've got in common is that they all talk to someone. They all found a little bit of help. And it's really important that you guys do too. So that's generally the message of it. And then there. Uh, and then I do a sort of a corporate version as well with the shirts with the different, the stories are much more different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A few on <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, but none of them that I'm going to tell here. Um, <laughs> camera phones are banned. <laughs> um, just moving back to Reading there. So um, the second season was a lot more, it was a personally uh, more successful season for you, goals-wise and appearance-wise, but not so much for Reading. Was there anything that changed in pre-season? Do you think it was a bit about the old the classic second syndrome, second season syndrome? Or what was it that, because the first season you finished just a point outside the Europa League playoffs. And, yeah. and then the second season, unfortunately, it was goal difference, wasn't it? It was Roy Hodgson's Fulham, I think, just, just pipped you by a few goals. Yeah, yeah, they did. It's um, yeah. The I think the the frustrating thing was that Fulham had Portsmouth on the last day, but Portsmouth had got through to the FA Cup final, so they'd rested mm. all of the, most of their team. Which these days you'd have something to say about that, but at the time seemed one of those things which was oh well, that's just the way <laughs> the fixtures have panned out. Mm took it on the chin, but it was a real difficult one to take mm. uh, because P Portsmouth with a full team probably would have won that game and we'd have stayed up. But there again, relying on other people means you haven't done your own job very well. And we hadn't. And I think that season, our uh, heads got turned a lot. Everyone was suddenly the focus of some sort of interest from another side. Mm. That had a big impact. Um and 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 collectively and individually we took our eye off the ball um and also we didn't recruit as well as perhaps we might have both in terms of the quality and in terms of um the numbers that we probably needed and there's no one no one to blame for that you know you can't recruit well every single season and also it, it's well how do you start changing players who have done so well the season before how do you start saying to them well actually we're going to bring in this international you know hang on just finished eighth with reading here mm. whereas these days that would be a very um the, the cutthroat nature of the premier league that that wouldn't even be a consideration if you could get an upgrade you'd do it yeah, yeah. it seems to me not all the time but it seems to me certainly to be the case most of the time um but reading wasn't like that reading was a very loyal uh, football club both the players to it and it to the players and perhaps maybe that loyalty ran its course a little bit towards the end um, but certainly wasn't anybody's fault it's just just a, just a collection of uh of unfortunate yeah like I said do you think and you sort of said do you, do you think because you think rotten luck essentially like you said the season four was so close to Europe and that that second season just just ever so ever so finally being relegated this it could be some just some bad luck 
Yeah, we had a run in January where we lost eight games on the spin. So we were fine. Before January, we were fine. Mid-table, com- comfortably mid-table. Uh, I think I was the top... Man. I can't remember if I was the top scorer in the Premier League or or the top English goal scorer in the Premier League. One of those, anyway. And... Um, and then we hit January, and it was a disaster. We think we lost eight eight games in a row. We we couldn't recruit. Um, we persevered. The mood just nosedived, and we just couldn't get it together. And and then we started doing things out of character, in terms of, you know, right. We want you all into the hotel before before the home match. We'd never done that. Little things like that, and. You, that had a that had a sense of it had an air of desperation about it. You know, we don't do this. Why are we doing? It? We're clearly trying to find some magic. Not something, yeah. Yes, yeah, something to tip the balance in our favour. And I'm not convinced that it's getting us away from our families and slinging us in a foreign bed in a foreign hotel. You know, um, before a big game, I'm not convinced that's the way to go. So all these, then you start having an internal battle with yourself, and then people start sniping you know what this and then human nature you know actually well, it's not our fault is it it's obviously that guy over there and now that shit starts to happen and uh and it's really hard to arrest that once that kicks in having been relegated sitting in that changing room in the last day of the season what was going through your head was it were you thinking i've just scored 10 goals in the premier league i need to stay in the premier league or i want to stay with reading and i need to get this club back where it should be back in the premier league yeah i remember feeling utterly dejected and 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 I, and the first thing i remember thinking was i i wanted to stay with reading but my, my the first thing i remember thinking was my god that was a long season in the championship last time we're never going to get 106 points again that's never going to happen it's going to be much harder and all that kind of you know but and then over the course of the summer, having a sort of a, oh, yeah, well, it is what it is. You know, this, we're just going to have to get on with it. If we want to get back to the Premier League, we're going to have to get on with it. And then um, and then I was told that, or my agent was told that we'd have to balance the books and I was the obvious choice to be sold. And I just remember thinking that was so, don't get me wrong, I was interested to see what was out there. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, you never know what might, what might happen and who might come in for you. Um, but at the same time, I was I, I wanted to stay in Reading. You know, I was I was we just had a, a, our first child. Uh, we had a nice house, a good life. I lived equidistant from the training ground and the state. I could see the stadium from my back garden. You know, I was so happy, and so was my wife. And um, and and then I. I was told that I would have to be sold to balance the books and that they they were going to accept offers in this region. And I just remember thinking, yeah, that's so short-sighted. You know, we're selling we're selling 20 odd goals for five and a half, six million pounds or whatever it was. But but the 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 bet that we're making here is will those 20 odd goals get us 160 million pounds if you want to take it on a purely monetary level mm. i was taking it on a can we get back to the premier league mm. obviously it's one and the same it's just a different way of looking at it but if you're going to gamble 
five and a half million against 160 million seems like a gamble worth making. But they had made their mind up that you know, we'll cash in on Dave. We've got Shane Long here. He's ready to step in. And so I could see the logic in it, mm. but I thought it was maybe a year too early. Um, but that was it. They'd made the decision and um, and uh, I, I had to leave. So you ended up signing for Stoke for a record, I think it was £5.5 million. Was there a few clubs interested or was it you wanted to go to Stoke because that was the best of the options or was it the manager that you felt that you wanted to play for or was it, was um, it that... I think Hull had made a bid I didn't want to go to Hull um, nothing against Hull I just didn't I just didn't want to um, didn't think they would survive in the Premier League for, for, for one second I think they did I can't remember um, and Aston Villa and Aston Villa had John Carew, mm-hmm. who was obviously their big man, mm. uh, if, if you want to be crude about it. But um, and he was a cult hero; they loved him, and uh, you know, pretty decent, de- decent uh, player. And I just remember thinking, well, I'm not going to play there. Uh, it doesn't matter how much money they offer me; I'm not, I'm just going to sit there on the bench, and then I'll end up being. I could sick at map out <laughs> what what would happen. I'm going to, you know, I'll go out on loan. And I, I remember thinking, I'll go out on loan and I'll end up playing against Reading. That would be a nightmare. I remember thinking that. Um, so I kind of made a, made a big decision based on not wanting to play against Reading. Um, and uh, yeah, and I ended up going to going to Stoke. And the mistake I made there was I didn't know anything about them. I didn't know anything about Tony Pulis. I didn't know anything about the way he played football. I could easily have done a bit of research to find out, you know, well, how do these guys, does it suit me? How do they play? What are they, mm. you know? Uh, what about this this manager? Who is he? What is he? And I didn't ask a single. I did nothing. I didn't ask a single person, and that was a, a huge mistake. Mm. Uh, these days, I think it's such that if you were to move club, I think you would just from the amount of football on on television, you would just know. Mm. You know, you would know when it's if Leicester come up this year, Southampton, I, I would know how they play. So I wouldn't even have to look. But back then, I, I didn't. I, I didn't, and I didn't ask any questions to my to my detriment. Ultimately, was that the first year that Stoke had come up? So they were they were a newly promoted team, yeah. Because I think, yeah. I, to be honest, I think that caught a lot of people by surprise. I think the long throw in the tactics there caught a lot of Premier League teams by surprise. I remember, I think it was the opening day, maybe Everton or Villa, they caused <laughs> havoc with them throws. And myself, being an Arsenal fan, I remember I think Stoke beat us numerous times at the Britannia and even when the first time they came up they were they think they beat us 2-1 both goals from throw-ins and yeah. Wenger would come out and lambate Stoke and Tony Pulis for this style of play and anti-football and all this sort of stuff did that build a sort of um, us against the us against the world sort of atmosphere at Stoke or I, I, I you know I'm a huge fan of Wenger and how he changed uh, the game in this country and probably ultimately in in, in Europe to, to a certain extent. Mm. Um, I, I very much liked his philosophy. I liked the way he changed diets for, for players. The things he did, you know, a lot of it can be traced back to, to Wenger um, in this country, the good things. Uh, but I did think that he was getting a bit precious about it. And... 
you know, we all have to play this way. You know, well, we can't. We can't because we can't all take kids out of Barcelona's academy at 16 and 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 try to get them to come to Stoke. You know, we're not in that position. We can't do it. We might be able to get Dave Kitson from Reading out of the championship. It's That's where we are. So I thought he was getting a bit precious. I don't know if there was anything, though, going on privately between Wenger and Pulis, um, but they certainly disliked one another, um, I think, personally, and uh, and obviously our approach to football. Mm. But in, in, and coming out and, and sort of saying that's anti-foot, it just played into our hands. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if he knew how damaging it was to his team because we lined up in in the changing room. I think John Walters tells a story where he's six foot and he's the smallest guy in the team. Mm. And, well, you have to question John Walters if he's six yeah, foot. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I'd be interested to see his driving license. Mm. Um, but um, it was the land of the giants, you know, and, um, and teams would turn up and you could, you, you, you could um, sight them in the, in the tunnel. You know, you could, you felt it. You mm. just looked straight forward. You'd hear that unbelievable roar at the Britannia as it was then. Mm. Um and, and that has an impact on you. The only team that were never, ever scared of us, probably two teams that were never, ever scared of us, were, were United and Chelsea. Because mm-hmm. physically they could go toe-to-toe. Um, but certainly when Arsenal turned up, they were intimidated. I, me- I remember Santi Cazorla, I think it was Santi Cazorla, kind of looking over at us and looking along the line, and you could see him thinking, what the hell is this? Yeah. Um, and you have to play on that, whether you like it or not. You know, you want to try to win the game. And I and I remember Arsenal always playing within themselves at, at Britannia. But then again, you know, we were physical with them. We were told to be physical with them. You know, it was more than one occasion in training where the corner would come in and you'd have Rob Hooth and Ryan Shaw cross. And it was, listen, if you, all, if you miss the ball, fine, but you're not missing the goalkeeper. So it was all of that. Um, and unfortunately that unfortunately that culminated in Aaron Ramsey breaking his leg and I remember I think I was on the bench for that game and I remember looking straight down the line of it and seeing Aaron Ramsey there right, right, so Ryan Shawcross just overran the ball there's no absolutely no intention from Ryan to injure any anybody whatsoever he overran the ball he was trying to trying to reach the ball to make a tackle and he caught Ramsey badly, and and and, and unfortunately, because uh, he was a wonderful player, uh, Ramsey broke his leg. And I just remember being right down the line of 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 Aaron Ramsey, and just seeing the bottom half of his leg facing the other way. Mm. And I remember Wenger turning around, and it was it was really a strange moment because I remember Wenger turning round and looking at me. Obviously, I was the first person in, in his line of sight, but to me, it felt like all of his frustration and anger was directed at me. And I remember having a bit of a bit of an epiphany in that moment, thinking that he must be really disappointed in me for being here. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds strange. 
but maybe that that look it was all and it probably was a lot of this is bullshit in my head <laughs> but, um but but it, I, it, he looked like a man who was looking at me, say, saying, "I'm surprised you would be a part of this." Mm. That's that's how it, that's the look he gave me, and I had an epiphany, and I decided right there and then that I didn't want to play for Stoke anymore. Mm. I didn't want to be didn't want to be a part of this, even though it was an accident, and I firmly believe that I know that it was an accident, yeah. but I, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. So you spent uh, two years there and then you think you had a couple of loans. You went back to Reading on loan at some stage and then you went to loan to Borough. Yeah. Was there a reason it just didn't quite work at um, at Stoke? Was there a clash of personalities in the manager? Because he wasn't really playing you in, in your position, was he? You went there as a striker but ended up playing midfield. And why do you think that just... I don't know didn't... why. The annoying thing, I think, I think the manager was protecting himself. Whereas I think the, the good managers these days would say, like if you take somebody like Joel Linton, clearly bought as a striker, mm. now playing in midfield. Mm. The manager makes the ex explanation to the fans and the fans say, oh, okay. And then the player proves himself in that position. Mm. Alan Smith at Man United, you know, it's happened a few times. Um, and I thought I sort of got left out to, to dry a little bit, you know, where... It was, oh, he's supposed to be scoring all of these goals for us, mm. but not saying, well, we're playing him in midfield at the moment because mm. what we're trying to do is play Ricardo Fuller up front on his own and let him get on with it, frankly, which he did. He's a very talented player. Mm. So my running, you know, my running stats were always off the charts, always outran everybody else on, on the pitch. Um, the effort was always there, but couldn't nick a goal because of the way we played. It was very much, we're playing in our own half. And then, and if we do get out of our half, it's going to be for set pieces. Mm -hmm. And then it's just the luck of the draw who, who, who it falls to. Mm -hmm. It fell to me a couple of times. And more often than not, you would aim for Ricardo Fuller or you would aim for Rob Hooth and Ryan Shawcross to head it and try and get on any, you know, you're feeding off scraps a little bit. And it's not really a way for a striker to play, to play football. But it was effective. But I just thought a little bit more support there just to say, well, look, this is what we're trying to do. But, uh, yeah, I felt a little bit isolated in that in that moment. Um, and if you had come out and said, no, actually, this is what we're doing with Dave, we're mm. shifting position because we like him in, in, in here and it's working for us, then I, who knows what could happen? I could have been there quite happily. Would have said, OK, well, I'm not a striker anymore. This is my new life as a footballer and things might have worked out differently. But I do remember feeling like I was doing an effective job, but not but feeling very isolated um, from the people who perhaps should have been helping me a little bit more. Yeah, people in, like the fans, we know, might have seen it as, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I mentioned, you then left Stoke off two seasons and joined Portsmouth. You did a couple of years there. They went to admin while she were there, and then that move. Then you then retire and then move on to Sheffield United. Had a little bit of a spell there, and then on to Oxford, where you ended your career. Yeah. yeah. How was that sort of coming up? Like, did you, were you thought? Did you feel ready to finish at Oxford? Or well, I tried to retire three times, <laughs> and um, I, I tried to retire at Portsmouth. Um, I wrote off 
at least a million pounds at Portsmouth in unpaid wages. Um, I don't like talking about Portsmouth. It was such a depressing, miserable time. I was lucky enough there that they had um, a doctor called Greg Warner who probably saved my life. I would go so far as to say literally saved my life uh, with with um, medication. And he just looked at me one day and, and he just went, you're not right, follow me. And uh, and um, and he sat. He was very senior in, in, in some committee in the south of England. He sat on and he chaired, and uh, to to do with mental health. Mm. And uh, I just knew he'd busted me. I was trying to hide it, you know. And uh, I just knew he'd busted me straight away. And he got me the help that I needed. But I remember being so suicidal in those days. It was awful. It was absolutely awful. And I just decided to retire on the. Uh, 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 I couldn't put one foot in front of the other on the pitch. Um, and uh, and just yeah, it was awful. I hated it. I don't really like thinking about it. But um, it's fine. We don't have to. Yeah, we can. We can yeah, and then um, I went to, and then I retired, mm. and then I bumped into Simon McCabe. Um, whose family owned Sheffield United, Kevin McKay, the chairman at, uh, uh, at Sheffield United. And they'd had, obviously, a problem with Ched Evans and said, look, you know, we're confident that he's going to win his appeal. Can you help us until that happens uh, for a few months of the first half of the season? So I said, well, you know, I've retired. Um, and and then I remember thinking, well, I don't want to leave my career as it finished at Portsmouth, you know. And I know Sheffield United to be a great club. We had some tremendous matches with them again, with Reading v Sheffield United. Uh, some real good battles, real honest club, good good fans, and 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 um, and had a lot of time for Sheffield United. And I thought, yeah, that could be a good club to just to say goodbye to football got to the middle of the season and of course Chad didn't mm. they didn't get him off and I ended up staying till till the end of the season um and and uh, didn't get to the we got to the playoffs we lost to Yeovil who then who then beat Brentford in the final and got promoted and it was all change again so I left and I retired again and I was just sat at home in the summer and I got a call from Chris Wilder and Chris said um you know come up to Oxford we're trying to do something here and I just uh, Chris you know I've retired it's it's and I did feel you know going up through the leagues was really exciting mm. uh, and I really tremendously admire those players who can come down the leagues and feel fresh and really enjoy going out to play football but to me it was a bit more uh, without being disparaging to anyone I remember thinking I'm not on the way up anymore you know, I'm on the way down and I and I couldn't really, I, I couldn't reconcile the fact that I was still a professional footballer and what a, a privilege that is mm. against the fact that I, I was on uh, moving, I wasn't moving forward. I was on the way back down and I just couldn't get over that, that, that bump. And I remember thinking, you know, I've seen all this, I've done all this and, I, and I'm, I'm failing. You know, every time I come down, I'm failing, I'm failing a little bit more rather than thinking... No, actually, I'm getting more games as a professional footballer. I'm lucky at this age of my life. I I just couldn't push myself over that side of the fence, and um, and but I 
I went up there and, and I really liked Chris. I have to say he, he sort of convinced me and I signed a two year deal and we were top of the league at, at, in January. And then they, and then they sacked him. <laughs> As you do. Yeah. Yeah. The normal way it goes. Um, <clears throat> and he went to Northampton, obviously kept them up miraculously in the next season, got them promoted. And then in the summer, the most bizarre thing that ever happened to me, I think, in my career was that we were in the cafeteria having lunch in pre-season, just about to start second year at Oxford, and the doors swung open and some guys in very sharp, severe suits walked in and uh, said, hi, we're the new owners. Um, we own a Formula One team around the corner. And it was this sort of aggressive. <laughs> um, and, and I remember one phrase, he, one sentence he came out with was, uh, if you're all good little footballers, we'll let you change the tyres on a real Formula One car. That went down well. Yeah, that didn't that did not go down very well at all. That was um that's not how you endear yourself to a group of footballers. And then Gary Warwick, who was sat in the corner, lovely fella, the manager, they sacked him on the spot in front of all of the players and then said. And you're starting tomorrow, your new manager. And I remember thinking, whatever name he says here is the difference between this being my last day as a professional <laughs> tomorrow mm -hmm. or doing another year. And he said, Michael Appleton. And I said, well, that's it. <laughs> Michael Appleton was my manager at Portsmouth and we didn't right. get it. Yeah. And um, next day he came up. I was walking out for training. And he came up, I could hear him coming running up behind me and he just said, uh, Kits, what do you want to do then? <laughs> and I said, I'm not playing for you. Um, and he said, fine. It's obviously the answer he was looking for. Yeah. Uh, the director of football will be in touch with you about your contract. You don't have to train today. And I went home and that was the end of my career. That was it. And my career as a professional footballer it just ended like that. One day I was there with all the lads, and then the next day I was sat at home, didn't have a career anymore, didn't have anything. So, yeah, very abrupt. Yeah. So, moving on to current day and post football, you've started up your own Dave Kitson, the Academy. Do you want to tell us why that started and how that came about? Was that something you've always wanted to do when you finished, or was that something that's been a new lease of life you wanted to, you wanted to do? Yeah, it, it well, it, it um, I got a call from a school here, Reading Bluecoat, uh, which is a fantastic school, and just said, Look, you know, would you like to help us with our football team? We're rolling out our football program a little bit more. I'd never really given it any thought, you know, um, to coaching, coaching anyone, but coaching kids as well. I'd never really mm -hmm. given it much thought. Uh, and I went in and I loved it, I absolutely loved it. It, it was just the and I still do it now, you know, it's it's just, um, I've been there since the summer. It, it's it's an amazing school, it's an amazing football programme, and we, we've done really, really well. So the school had never been past the first round of any of the competitions before, and they also play in the local league, uh, and we've got to three quarterfinals. So they're in you know across the nation um and i just thought i love this i want to do more of this um uh, you know how can i how can i do more coaching how can i and i just thought well you know just start an academy just start, there's enough 
kids around Berkshire and, and, and opportunities to coach. And so I did. I just started it up and I thought, well, you see how it goes. Um, and it, it just went, it just went nuts. It just, it just, I just got swamped and I had to bring on uh, James Harper, as I say, my, my old uh, um, partner in crime at, at, at Reading. And the, the, the funny thing is that Reading are now sacking a lot of their academy coaches because of the the ongoing mm -hmm. situation there, and they're picking the phone up to me saying, "Can can they can they come and get some work? Can they come and and we're, I'm just trying as hard as I can to find them as much work as I can. And luckily at the moment, because we're so swamped, we're able to do that. So mm -hmm. every time Reading sack a, an academy coach, we're or make one redundant, we're, we're trying to help them at, mm -hmm. at the academy as well. Uh, and we get a lot of the academy kids coming for for um, extra sessions as well but you know our philosophy is that we'll coach anybody it, don't, it doesn't matter what what level they're at you don't have to be the best footballer ever it's it's literally coach everyone and because reading's such a um it, it's it's a very it's very divided um economically and there is some poverty here there's some households that obviously don't have extra uh, funding for kids coaching sessions. So we've got a program in place where we'll subsidize that. And we've just actually taken on our first, we've only gone two and a half months and we've just started our first, uh, we've just taken on our first um, academy player, which is being subsidized by, by uh, a, a, a benefactor. Who wants to donate in order to get that kid some some coaching sessions, which is just it's just fantastic. And we're trying to do as much as we try and do our social media and all the local places where Reading fans eat and drink all around town, and then plugging their their businesses, their their eateries and their cafes like that. And it's just trying to help. You know, I'm very I've been sort of adopted by Reading really and the town, and it's been good to me. And I'm not going to be as as um um as sappy as saying oh i'm trying to give back and all yeah, of that yeah, stuff. Yeah. but i do but i i do feel some I, I certainly feel a pride in in living in reading i do feel as if it's my home now you know I've been here a long time and it is nice to um embed yourself in the community and it is nice to get involved in things and it does give you a bit of a warm feeling you know so um you know without going over the top and getting soppy about it it does make you feel good. It's good for the endorphins. Yeah, good. Mm. Is that something you do seven days a week and always groups up to 18, is it? Or Yeah, so we'll do, I mean, I coach four-year-olds, boys and girls up to, up to. you know, I coached a, a lady the other day. She won't mind if I mention her age. Um, she, she was 45 and she wanted to do walking football ah. to work on her left foot. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I said, yeah, place to come to. Yeah, they can do that. But at the other end, got her 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 son who's thirteen, with James Harper, doing goalkeeping coaching, mm. and, um, and he's a fantastic goalkeeper. Um, so there's, you know, it's just all it, sorts. Yeah, brilliant. There's loads of stuff going. I've just come back from coaching sessions tonight. Just a, a, an under twelves team, a girls team in Woodley, fantastic bunch. Um, 
took the mickey out of me mercilessly but it's great it's great fun and i just go around as many schools as i can i give talks i, I you know my shirts that i collected over the years i never wanted to frame them and put them you can see behind me i never wanted to put them i don't want to be reminded of those guys in my house you know so <laughs> i i keep them all in one big bag and then i go out and i do some coaching and i let the kids put them on and they're running around in gareth bale's shirt and they, and it's great. They love it, you know, and that's what they should be for. Those shirts really should be in, inspiring the next generation of kids to play the game. So all those players who have got them in their pool rooms framed up, shame on you. <laughs> now, I can see from the, the big smile on your face how much it means to you and how much the coaching thing is enjoying you, how much, like you said, that being you are giving back. And it's just a, it's really nice to see, like you said, how much it means to you. Um. Reverting back to the beginning of the show, just to just to wrap up, I asked you a question. Dave, you scored three hat-tricks for Reading, but which one did you score in the quickest time? Oof. Were you going to give me the teams? I can give you the teams yeah, if you'd like me to. Give you the so, Brighton, West Ham and Gillingham. I'm going to say, do you know, I do the Gillingham game. I remember scoring two penalties. Yeah. And they, I remember them being quite quick. In the, uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to say, because I remember the West Ham game a little bit. I don't remember the Brighton game at all. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say Gillingham. Correct. Is it? Bang on, yeah, bang 20, on, 28 minutes. Yeah, I don't remember the other goal, though. I remember it was two penalties. I, got, I can't remember the, the other goal for the life of me. But... So, Br Brighton was... He scored you the third goal in the 90th minute. A West Ham, 57 minutes. And Gillingham, first half hat-trick in under half an hour. 28 yeah. minutes. Have you got West... any of the balls? Prob somewhere, probably. I don't know. Uh, I moved house so many times. They probably got lost somewhere. I don't know. Where. <laughs> Kids probably kicked them around in the back garden. Yeah, but... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, Gillingham. I remember that game. West Ham. I don't remember the Brighton game at all. West Ham. West Ham doesn't count, does it? Anyone can score against West Ham. <laughs> I remember you scored twice against Spurs when you played for Reading, actually. Because I'm a season ago at Spurs, so I've actually watched you a few times, Dave. <laughs> yeah, we we played that game six four. Mm. It was, I think Berbatov had a couple of goals. I had a couple of goals, and they were both desperately trying to get a hat trick. And obviously, then he decided to sort of shift gears and score mm. again. And um, and I remember being interviewed afterwards, and the and the guy, I think it was Tim Tim Deller at BBC Barks down here, said, uh, "Dave, how do you sum up that game?" And I just said, "Look, it was one of those freak games. It will never ever happen again. Uh, don't don't pay any mind to it." You know, we win as a team, lose a little bit of the usual rubbish. Mm. And, uh, you know, let's just leave it there. Freak game, one-off, never happening again. Played Portsmouth a few weeks later and lost 7-4. <laughs> I think that it's was... still, still the highest scoring Premier League game of all I think, time. Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. That uh, was the classic Chris Kamara game, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and uh, the red card. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, is that? Brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, and I just remember Tim Deller coming trying to approach me after that game saying, uh, hey, I said, you get that microphone. Out. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, perfect. Um, thank you very much for coming on, Dave. 
No, um, not at all. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed it. Um, and before we go, I'd like to say happy birthday for Sunday. Is it coming up? Yeah. Is it? I mean, I've got us the 18th. Yeah. So, yeah. God, Sunday. Yeah. Maybe that's what that's one day of the year that dating <laughs> gets set away. That's the worst. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone sent me a thing the other day saying it was uh, on this day Dave Kitson signed for Reading 20 years ago. Cool. I just. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks, Dave. Really appreciate no, it. Really, really appreciate it. And enjoyed all your stories. And yeah, really great to hear from you. Pleasure. Thank you. Right. So we'll wrap that up. I hope all the listeners enjoyed that one as much as we did. And um, we'll see you next time for the next episode of Talking Loyal. Take care.